You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. So I received a email or a request, a direct message from somebody, and I won't mention the person's name, but I thought it was a great lead-in to our podcast, and it was questions like, what do you think are the main issues facing veterans today? Another question was around why do they struggle to find employment? And then lastly, why are an increasing number finding themselves involved in the criminal justice system? Now, we've talked about some of the issues facing military when they transition, such as things like lack of camaraderie, there's no structure, those types of things. And I think we could probably delve into that a little bit more, but I'm sure we all have opinions. So, of course, joined on the podcast is Kat Kalin, Colin McLaughlin, Don Randall, and Rudy Lindsay. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, about the issues that are facing veterans upon separation, how some of them end up finding their way to depression, suicide, and homelessness. I just wanted to kick that off and let you know that there was a request that was put out. I responded back to the email, but it got me really juiced up in thinking about, you know, what we're going to talk about today, because it's spot on, I think, with some of the issues facing. So what do you guys think are some of the reasons why, or some of the issues facing veterans once they separate? You know, Robert, I'm dealing with that as of today. Uh, Matter of fact, real quick, you know, again, without dropping names, I'm, I'm, you're familiar with this story already. I'm actively dealing with a with a very good friend of mine, um, and I just received some some copied text messages, you know, and he, he's really struggling, man. He's married. He's you know uh, newly newlywed, been married, you know, I think a, a year, um, and and his wife's already out of the house. They're getting ready to get a divorce. He's got a new girlfriend with kids living in the house, and and the guy is in a desperate desperate position, and. Uh, uh, and it's directly it's directly attributed to PTSD and his and his struggles. But it it, it, it seems to me that when guys, number one, the, the, if you separate the PTSD issues and go back to, to some of the points you were talking about, the ability to have a successful transition, both mentally and in the, in the physical world, is critical. And and you know. Everything that we've talked about in all these podcasts apply to this. And if and if and if guys are already faced with with PTSD issues, and then they have a poor transition on top of it, it's going to compound these problems. And and that's why a lot of our friends are are, are in, involved in the criminal justice system. That's why they uh, struggle finding employment. They lack that camaraderie. And uh, and real quick, another example uh, down in this fishing tournament I was in down in Alabama these last couple of weeks, we had a, another veteran-owned company, uh, a regular army uh, guy, veteran, awesome dude. But when he retired from the military and got into his fishing business, very successful business owner, he's doing quite well. But he specifically stated to us uh, when we were down with the team in Alabama, the number one thing he missed was that camaraderie. Because no one around him uh, has a military background, you know. I think he was the only one in his family that, that went into the military. You know, he did a whole career, did some few tours in Iraq, and he really missed that. And he's been out for probably I don't know six, six, seven years, eight years maybe. Um, and and the and the most thing that he talked about was was that camaraderie and how excited he was, you know, to be back around our our fishing team. So, it, just some small examples right there of real world stuff happening right now today. 
one of the things you said is, you know, the transition and coming out, there's not, they need to have the services. But I think what's most important and something that I've noticed that lack, every, where, everywhere that it lacks, is that none of these are offered during your service or while you're in the service. So if you, yeah. if, if you say, like, on our last podcast, you're talking about, like, training your body, you have to train your mind. Yeah. And they don't offer these services. And one of the things that when I deployed with the reserves and um, kind of just to give a different perspective, when we were overseas, we had, you know, they give you those basic briefs and they're like, hey, any of you guys, you need to watch for the, the 90 day mark because that's when it's going to hit you. And none of us were, you know, we were just like, oh, we're going to go back to our families or even like getting out of the military. You come out of that part of your service on this like this high you're like yes I have my DD-214 you know I have my life ahead of me and then when you actually get out you're not with your your comrades you're not you don't have a job a lot of people think like oh yeah especially at the reserves like these people they just go overseas for a year and then they come home and they have they go right back into their employment for me we I got got out of my deployment in 2007 from Iraq went straight back to my small town home and sure enough like I was sitting there left to nothing and that and like I said before that 90 day mark and it and it did it hit me like like a brick in the face like you the services weren't there I hadn't been in uniform I was just dropped by my unit and continued to go downhill from there and still struggle with those things now so I think what needs to happen is these services or trainings or just opportunity or like I said before like babysitters need to take soldiers aside during their service time during their enlisted time and pound it in their head so that they can be prepared when they leave I think it's super important for that and, and we don't do it yeah. I, I agree with you I've had several things and happen and I've been working with a sort of major friend of mine for a while and uh, share something earlier with uh, Robert that is that you know he kind of told me and I never thought about it because you you know you don't think about things like this he goes you know I may have I may have uh, killed myself if it wasn't for you calling all the time and checking on me so you know a lot of times people are looking for outside to help but what I found with working with several different veterans uh, to include a neighbor of mine that we really these type of things the only people that can help us are ourselves yeah. because we we all have common ground you know it doesn't matter what you did. I mean, you know, my neighbor ran combo lines and stuff, but of his six-man team that supported the army, they lost two. That's a large percentage of a unit, you know, to yeah. be to be lost. And he's a young kid, and um, you know, and I was over there talking to his dad, who who's a prior service uh, marine, and he goes, "I just don't understand this." And I said, you never will. I said, no offense, you've never been in combat. I said, your your son's done things that you can't appreciate. So the only thing you can do is link him up with a veteran and let us talk. Because yeah. I said, you just got to treat him normal. And, um, you know, I, I see that a lot. And, you know, kind of tying in, kind of segueing into what you about the how you get in trouble with the law. You know, a good friend of mine, you know, He's probably one of the best SF guys about you know doing the right thing for his family and his wife that that I've ever known. And not that all SF guys are bad. I mean, people are human, but like he is like the model guy that you would think of. Is my point. Sacrificed for his family, moved them a number of years, settled them so they have a retirement place and the kids graduate high school. Lived lived in an RV for like two different assignments. 
you know, comes home later on, goes through a divorce like your friend Rudy. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then through the divorce process, had no idea his, his wife had been hiding money, you know, pushing it to another account. She realizes he's got MS. It's not going to be fun to deal with. You know, she basically pulls chocks on him. And not only does she pull chocks, and he's like, okay, half, it, that's, you know, half of, 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 of what's ours is hers, despite yeah. the other thing. But then the next thing you know, um, the justice system, and I'll tell what state it is, in Tennessee, you know, allows this guy's disability, which against federal law, gets chopped off as part of, of um, the, the slice of the family money. Mm. And, it's hers. And, and it goes to her. And, and it, that's not hers. Because it, it's a federal law, and see, they even try to go to DFAS, and DFAS says, no, that's against the law. We can't do it. So what did, what did the Tennessee court system do? And this went all the way up through the court system to the, through the appellate process, and it was upheld, even though it's against federal law. You know, she's getting a chunk of his disability. Oh, so he wow. goes to the VA and says, well, what do I do? And they said, hey, sorry, I can't help you. And, now, did you uh, say they were divorced? Yeah. The, and she's was, still receiving the funds? Yeah, she, as part of, of the divorce, the court system, since they couldn't get it through the military, through the government, the court basically ordered him to do it, and if not, he would go to jail. Yeah. So wow. you talk mm-hmm. about getting sideways with, with the law enforcement, you know, yeah. so he's got a choice, you know, to abandon the state, and, ho- and then most states probably wouldn't, you know, wouldn't turn him over for something yeah. like this. But, you know, and, and, and you, you talk about your, your buddies. Kate, that you talk about, you know, you go there, you can go to sleep in your foxhole and feel good that, you know, somebody's going to pull a guard and let you get a good night's sleep in your safe. But then you come back to to this, uh, to the U.S. where you fought and defended for the rights and freedoms, and then all those things, the tables get turned on you. Yeah. Well, so, your reliability of, you know, the people that you can depend on, it goes from, like, instant. I mean, if you need help or if you want to go talk to one of your buddies, you just walk out the door or walk out the tent and there's somebody there, you know? So having that like instant gratification to rely on somebody is completely stripped of you and you're put into this position where you know people are judging you they're expected to do feel and do certain things that you did before like you know coming back into a parent role or um, a spouse or whatever and a lot of times or you're just left in a rural area like myself with people that are not military do not have that mindset they they just high expectations of what you are supposed to be when you can't you don't even have time to decompress from what you know like you said any job overseas so I you know and then you just you're left alone which it's hard to talk to people like your buddy you you have to have a veteran to talk to because they understand it's you know it's talking to a spouse they don't get it they'll say they love you and offer their comforts but I think a, a lot of times veterans go straight to the bottle or straight to the pills yep because it's a non-judgmental they're not going to expect anything of you, and they were not going to judge you. And then, the, and then from that point, you just stop caring. You stop caring about yourself, your family, and then ultimately, you come face to face with how your life is. And most of the time, that's when people kill themselves yeah. because Robert, they can't grow out of it. That's, you know, we talked about this uh, last PTSD podcast too, which is very important. You know, uh, and specifically talking about my friend. So two nights ago, he, he got he got arrested for DUI, and you know he's hauled off to jail. Unit gets a phone call like, "Hey, come get your guy to jail," type deal. Um, 
he blew a zero, but still he was under the influence because he was taking some pills as well, some Ambien. And um, so, anyways, this thing goes on the blotter report, and he's in trouble for that. The, the biggest, another problem that we're dealing with that we haven't talked about too is the chain of command and the chain of command understanding and supporting a, a warrior, a brother, a good SF soldier. This dude's got numerous combat deployments. He's extremely loyal. He's, he's arguably one of the best shooters, long gun shooters in USASOC. You know, was a Safartech instructor, uh, you know, the, the SF sniper course. And the dude's a phenomenal soldier. He's just, he's in a bad spot right now. So when you compound all that stuff, you know, you got the command judging you, number one, and he's at risk because of that zero tolerance policy, which is stupid. He's at risk of, of you know, getting in serious trouble and losing his SF tab. Uh, he's going through the divorce with his wife. He's he's just got problem after problem after problem. And on top of that, you know, he's 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 voiced openly. You know, he's ready to off himself. And and he's in a critical spot. And we we have daily communications with this guy to keep tabs on him. But uh, it, it's hard, man. And and Colin, I'd be I'd be very interested in hearing. I, I know there's got to be some similarities, brother. Some similarities with the, within the SAS and within the the units over there. Yeah, and we're we're just starting to see the kind of uh, the reaction to that from a kind of public perspective, and and yeah, yeah and I think I think what's what's a kind of common trait between what Don Rudy and Kat have all said is that this this lack of, of network that ceased to exist when you leave um, it's something that it's something that interests me because at the start, Rob, you talked about um, on one hand we have a problem with veterans where we. We, we need to find them into employment and sometimes they struggle and what's the solution? And then on the other hand, we're saying, actually, the best people to help veterans are veterans. And yeah. we're, we also, we, we, all, we almost have the answer to the question. So, and, and obviously it needs it needs backing from government, from, from the headshed, like it's been explained, and also needs the military backing. But I think sometimes the, the, the answers right in front of us, you know, the people that veterans need are veterans. You can right. have the most qualified psychiatrist in the world in front of you, but sometimes somebody that doesn't have a psychiatry degree but is a veteran understands you, he gets you. You can unload on him, he can unload on you. You have a beer and you know what? The day's, the day's a good day. So sometimes the answer's right in front of us and I just wonder whether there's an opportunity there for some of veterans to get involved back into the cycle to help people as, as, as they're coming out. But, you know, I can tell you based on my experience, and we talked about it earlier in the day, is what you find is, and, and um, I don't know, Kate, if you had the same experience in, in Rudy, but it seems like when people get in the U.S., when we get your retirement orders, you know, you're still friends with people, but you kind of like you're, you're set aside over there, and everybody's moving forward, and, and you're moving to the flank. And I see a lot of, uh, of my brothers and sisters that are retiring, and you know the people on on active duty are staying they don't understand the retirement process and the people yeah. on, that have already retired most of those are gone so yeah. you're kind of in this little running in the dark bumping into walls by yourself so fortunately my my sort of major buddy who i'm helping he helped me to start and he goes let me tell you some, share some experiences with me and be an informed consumer of this retirement process you know and i learned things that you know to not to get put on the spot, you know, when they say, hey, you got to sign this piece of paper, you know, uh, for this benefit or that benefit, and you never had time to sit down with your spouse 
yeah, in an unemotional environment and get put on the spot, like the, the survival spouse survival benefit program. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which may be good for some people, but it's not always the best case, you know. And but you need to be able to, to sit down, think it, review it, do a little research on it. And, um, you know, so I guess it's a long way to get to back to the point is if knowing what we know now, what we're talking about, you'd almost think that, hey, Rudy's got his retirement orders. Okay, Rudy. Who are your friends? Let's get you linked up with your friends and, and, and build your network, your battle buddy system, uh, because I think it's critical. Yeah. You know, even I got another neighbor down the street that had just moved in who uh, retired as a PJ. And he worked a lot with, with uh, different SF units. And there's a retired SF officer that calls him periodically out of the blue if he hadn't heard from him and go, hey, dude, how you doing? If you need me, give me a call. And just unprompted, he told me, he goes, you know, that that gets me through some hard times a lot of times and, yeah. and, and makes me feel important. And, you know, Kat, if you would have had somebody like that, you know, despite the fact that, that you were a reservist, you know, and because I spent most of my time in the National Guard, you know, you are disconnected, you know, but thank God for Skype and FaceTime and, you know, and cell phones because you don't physically have to be there where sometimes physical is better. That's, but you got to have a network. I mean, with this today's technology, I mean, look at us. We're connected across the water. And it can always happen this way, like you said, through all of the social media aspects, through the technology that we have today. There really isn't an excuse, but when a lot of guys get off active duty or gals, when they get off active duty, they don't think... It's like their brain shuts off, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts. They don't think about the future, about transitioning to the private sector. They don't think that there may have been battle buddies or veterans that's gone on before them that they can reach out. They don't they don't they don't engage the brain in that way. They don't plan like they did for a mission or objective for transition. So in many cases they set themselves up for that failure because they think they've got it handled. They think they they probably think that there's so much that they've seen and been through that whatever this challenge is, they'll overcome it as well. But they may not be anywhere prepared for it. And I know Colin in in the UK, it's even much more challenging because you don't have the transitional aspects of taking an employment skills and translating that directly into a private sector job. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and we talked about that last time in terms of when I left, it was a case of uh, signing the kind of official secret sack, handing in my ID card and then driving out the gate. And that was a kind of, that was, that was some day I drove north of the border back up to Scotland and uh, you know, you, you you talk about that 90 day period that afternoon I was back home thinking this is quite surreal like I've just I, I feel like the, the cord's been cut you know it's like your umbilical cord's gone and suddenly that whole mothership's disappeared and I like that idea of a year out from when you're due to leave people come in from where you're gonna settle back home even from around where the base is they come in they talk about their life there's a little kind of veterans network set up where not only is that there for you when you come out and it's someone to bounce off of that, that gets you, that gets what you're talking about and what some of the issues are, but it's also good for the military because it, it's this network of, you know, there is a life out there and these guys can prove it because here they're coming in to talk about what their lives are. And I think some of these military networks that exist now, I was just in today at a talk at KPMG and they have a veterans program. They're set up by veterans. They're they're not They're not civilian CEOs that have suddenly had an epiphany and thought, why don't we get veterans in? Right. Veterans get veterans, so veterans 
start this idea and then they suddenly see how successful it is because veterans have so many skills to offer that may not be in an academic sense. They may not be, you know, some course that's been translated into civilian language, which is another problem. But then we see the value in it and that's what gets the ball rolling. And again, like the UK, the, the, the kind of brothers across the water, we're, we're a little bit behind the curve in terms of what the US are doing. And I think, too, that it's, you know, like how we said before, the chain of command. Because you have, you know, especially with the reserves, and I'm, I'm sure on the conventional side as well, Not I didn't see it so much on the SF side, but with the reserves, as an NCO or an officer or whatever, you should have these resources available, and you should be checking on your soldiers and doing, you know, the proper, you know, dot the I, cross the T type of thing. But the problem that we're seeing a lot is that people are so absorbed with their rank and with their sense of authority or the culture of it that they forget that, you know, people handle stresses differently. And that, like before, um, when we talked on another one, how I think I think it was the last podcast where the guy was, you know, he was getting drunk all the time and he was late for work and they thought that he was just turning into a scumbag. But it, in real reality, he was dealing with all of these emotional problems. And I think to treat people decently and you know to take people aside even as a senior NCO and treat them with the same respect as like man to man woman to woman and not judge them just for how they are reacting to certain situations and that's what I saw a lot when especially in the guard and and the reserves was it was all about your rank and what you did and then when you came to your drill every month it was I'm staff sergeant this person or sergeant first class this and if I had issues as a PFC I not only that, I feel extremely intimidated about going to them, that there's just not that connection. And I think that the, you know, if you're higher ranking, you really need to take the time to research what's available. And if you have soldiers that are getting ready to leave, sit them down and talk about their goals and their plans and possibly the emotions that they may have um, about getting out. Because like you said, I mean, we just had a guy, one of our Ranger buddies that just got out and, uh, the same thing with his ID card. He had to go turn it in, and he's like, "Man, I just felt like my weapon was, you know, taken <laughs> away from me on the battlefield, you know." And he's like, "It's so surreal to me." And like, we sat him down, and we had like a, a few beers and talked to him. And he's like, "You know, I'm really fortunate that I have you guys to talk to and kind of decompress and like talk out my plans and my stresses and all that because it really puts things in reality for me." And that's what people need. Like, like you said, veterans take care of veterans. And with this podcast, it's just, I mean, that's what we're doing. We're, we're putting ourselves out there, our vulnerabilities, and, you know, allowing people to hear this and feel these things to know that it's okay and that, you know, you, they should do the same as well for other veterans. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that what you said, and I don't think that's just a, even a guard and reserve thing. I think uh, Rudy will be a good judge. I think it's, it's everywhere. I don't, think, yeah. I don't think it's isolated. I think it's... it's we're making this huge transition about being in war for so long and we don't have the culture yet for people now we do an sf a lot and i think it it in it it resided from vietnam and the other stuff where you take your rank off you get in a team room and you talk team room stuff whether you're on a team or not you know and and ranks off you know i've sat in rooms with generals you know we did the team room discussion and you could be pretty open but i think it's it's educating people now leaders you know ncos and officers because you don't feel that I'm going to have my uniform on if I wasn't in that SF click. You didn't feel as comfortable about being as open because you're right, Kat. People judge you, and a lot of people wear their rank sometimes to cover some insecurities. 
with some pieces, but people need to know it's okay. You know, unfortunately, you know, when I was in command, you know, I lost five soldiers in combat. I had 26 uh, uh, medevacs. I remember all this stuff like it was yesterday. But, you know, and, and you think about it every day and, you know, but, but you have people to talk to and, you know, you, you pick your people you talk to. But I also tried to, to tell my folks, hey, it's okay. I mean, it's, numerous times as a, as a battalion commander, you know, I'd have guys come in and they'd get totally out of line. And they'd get it off their chest, and I'd say, you good? And I was like, yeah. And I said, okay, that's over with. It ain't going to happen again. If it needs to happen again, you need to come in here, close the door. You know, I left the door open for them to do that. But at the same time, you know, I just I had to give them some parameters. You know, you got to do this at the right place in the right time. But I think it's, it's, it's the burden is on us. You know, we know now. We know what right looks like. And, and to get this information out on this podcast and other venues to start educating the people still in uniform and then the people out of uniform because it's almost kind of got it's an asymmetrical attack on the thing. There's no one way in and no right way. But when, but you take think, that, when you take that uniform off, though, you drop the rank. I mean, right. you're no longer, I mean, you could put that, I guess, on your... Some people don't. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could put that on your description of your, your name, title, and, you know, the comma and... What's that? I have, I have fun with those guys catch references. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I, I don't the, get the only, it. The only rank I have is usually when I leave the gym, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't get that. And so when you're talking about an enlisted soldier versus an officer versus a warrant officer, well, who really cares? If you're coming off active duty, we're all brothers, sisters, regardless of country, regardless of rank, regardless of whatever. We need to join forces and we need to be able to communicate without that being a barrier because that's well, part of the people, problem. They, they can't transition though. You see, like they come out as being like Sergeant Major, First Sergeant, Platoon Sergeant, and they come over to the civilian side and they feel like that sense of entitlement. So when they go to, you know, try to get a job and they don't have the right, they're told like, hey, yeah, you don't, you don't know how to do this properly. You know, they, you get offended. And then not, so you go from like, being all uppity, coming out as first sergeant, and then things start to die down. And the problem is, is that you've been rejected through that time period where now you feel like you're a worthless piece of crap and you're not, you can't contribute to society, which then leads to all these other problems. Yeah, I think, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I absolutely buy into that. That regardless of rank, we're all kind of equal in status when we when we step off the off the battlefield, you know. But I also, I would take that a step further. I think. The higher you are in rank or um, whatever job you're in, maybe even special forces, you actually have more responsibility um, to, to kind of feed down and, and, and make sure that you influence the people underneath you. One of the things we did recently here in the UK, we had a series, um, SES Who Dares Wins, and it was we run 30 candidates through um, a kind of SF selection, albeit it was only you know eight days long. But one of the things that the public bought into was the human aspect, the element of it. So if they've got if they've got experienced SF guys talking about things like PTSD, some of the trauma post conflict, some of the problems they've had since leaving, that inspires them to say, you know what, this isn't a, this isn't a private, this isn't a reservist, this isn't a man, this isn't a woman, this isn't a Brit, this isn't American. This uh, this this cuts across all sectors, and sometimes that that can give the inspiration. So I think actually. The higher up the rank you are, or the perhaps more specialized you are, you actually have more responsibility to do a little bit more. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and it's funny because when you you think about 
what you just mentioned, I mean, there are several different programs that have been developed now in the UK where they're starting to embrace and understand veterans. Over here, there are a lot of nonprofits that we've got. I mean, there are tons of nonprofits that support veterans, probably in some cases way too many because there might be a sense of entitlement that is occurring by people who are coming off active duty. When the private sector is is disengaged from the war and from the, the people who are fighting the battles for them and they don't understand, then they don't understand you when you come back and how that experience translates in any way to the to what they do in the in the civilian world. And then secondly, you have individuals who are coming off that has always assumed an us and them mentality that we're the, the fighters, you're not, and now I'm coming back to you and you feel disengaged, you don't feel that sense of teamwork, camaraderie, you don't feel the sense of passion towards mission and objectives. You know, people are leaving work when there's still work to do and you don't understand why they're going home. We've got a job here still to do. You don't, time is not important to you. It's mission and objective. And so there's that transition truly that occurs where in some cases you end up creating a larger divide either through your thought process or just by your actions that create the civilian force to, to view you now differently. Yeah, I think, and you know, like what you said with the, the divide, I think what vets are losing sight of is, you know, they've been through, or we've all been through this specialized training where it does it, it most of the training that we've gone through, you, ha- you need to be intelligent, you think on your feet, you have to act, you work hard. I mean, that's what veterans, they come out of the service doing. But the problem is, is that they get that mixed up with all the emotions that are coming with it that they're not familiar with. So then they start to, you know, especially I'm speaking for myself, you start to discredit your abilities to how hard you work and how smart you actually are and giving yourself credit there and getting so absorbed into these new, like, terrifying emotions where you forget about all of the th- good things that you have and that you can contribute and that the civilian side would be thankful to have these type of people out there, but you're, but you, you can't overcome the thought process, your own thought process. And that's why I think it's really important for reinforcement amongst ourselves. Like for me be like, Hey, Robert, like, man, you, you got this resume writing skills down and like reinforcing that you're like, yeah, I can write a resume really good, or I can do PT really good or do, you know, fly a plane or all this other stuff. Because you do, you forget that you come out with this like sense of entitlement, which like hone in on your, your, your training and your work ethic, and then just ease in with the emotions because they're going to be changing rapidly. Probably much different in the UK, Colin. Is it like that? <laughs> it's weird. I have, I have two, two, um, opposite sides of a coin, which both happened to me when I, when I left the military, I went and did, um, I did the circuit like a lot of people did. I actually looked after U.S. media, CNN, NBC News and stuff for a while in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. And I saved up enough money to put myself through university. Now, in the first year at university, I tried to find myself a job. And I sent out what I thought was a good CV in my little red book. And um, I applied for over a thousand jobs over the space of a year. I didn't wow. get a single interview because oh, I was wow. represented by a piece of paper. My underwater knife fighting skills were irrelevant. I was a, I could crack shot at a thousand yards. It didn't matter. So I had real difficulties. And one of the last jobs I applied for was a security guard um, supervisor at the library. And I thought that'll fit two birds with one stone. I can do the security and I'll be in a library. It'll be brilliant for university. And I didn't get the job. But the letter said due to the 
um, extraordinary high caliber of individuals that have applied for this job, you have not been selected for interview. <laughs> and I was coming to the oh, wow. So I framed that piece of paper and I've got it on my wall and I still have it today. And when the going gets tough and I had to write a hard dissertation of a hard, a hard day, I always look at that. So that was my first year at university. Fast forward a year and then I got an internship at an investment bank. And I went in there. So on one side, I'm quite, you know, my self-esteem's quite low. I think I've got nothing to offer because I'm left the military. Fast forward a year and I've got an internship at an investment bank. And I go in there and they see what I've got to offer and they send me around the different teams. And at the end, I'm asked to do a, a project just on something that would save money. And I was on this one particular section of the team. And as military, we're quite inquisitive. We like to do things better. We always think and we plan ahead and stuff like that. So I looked at how this team was working and they had this system where they didn't question what was coming from the sales desk because the sales desk was the sales desk. They were generating all the money and stuff like that. But I did question. I questioned quite a lot. And I think as military, we have the, the confidence to question things. They're not. We, we have this um, criticism that things might not always be doing the best way. It comes naturally to us, particularly within our, our worlds. So I questioned it, and actually it came back that things just had never been questioned in the past. And it turned out that if they, if they did it the way, but they, they, basically they weren't converting uh, the exchange rates every day. They were just using the same system for years and losing lots of money. So at the end of the project, it turned out that the, the sales desk was losing $3,000 a day by not staying current with the exchange rates. Now, I'm not an investment banker. I'm not even that great at maths. But what I am is a veteran with an inquisitive mind and a fresh set of eyes. And I think we've all got that to offer and we're great at working in teams. So I'd went from one end of the coin and not being able to find a job to the next bit being able to go in and shape an investment bank. And I think sometimes we don't want to get caught between one spectrum or the other. We want to be somewhere in the middle and we have a lot to offer. Yeah, it's not so much your training like per se, but how you did that training, you know, and what you gained from it. And I think, you know, a lot of soldiers and uh Marines, airmen, what, what have you? They, um, we have like this in-depth, difficult, gritty training that we go through, and we kind of lose sight of like, yeah, I did the underwater siege, or you know, I was a ranger, SF, or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's all great, but that doesn't translate to the civilian side. But the fact that you can think critically and uh, manage your people, race. yeah, that's what your, that's your, what your intestinal, your intestinal fortitude, your integrity, yeah. your work ethic. All of that comes into play. Questioning and, everything. And that should be articulated when you're going through the transition to potential employers. Absolutely. We've talked about that numerous times. You know, and that's, I think, the reason why project managers are a good segue from the military. A lot of times, organizations have project managers that fit exactly what you're talking about, Colin. You can go in there, you can evaluate the situation, you know how to develop a plan of action, you know how to get to the objective, and you know how to close it out after execution so that it doesn't live forever, and drive people and create teams towards that objective or that mission. Well, that's very much aligned with project management. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I always think that there is nobody that's more versatile to put in almost any industry than a veteran because a, ven a veteran's had to adapt to almost any environment with limited information and work in small teams and get the job done. What, what, other job, what other 
sector can you take someone and transplant them into any other industry? And I've I've worked in a lot of different industries. It's 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 one of the one of the great things we have as veterans. We can be lifted and just almost placed in almost any industry there is. Hey, and Colin, it's something that's similar but but a little bit contrasting. There's another vet that uh, me and and a good friend of Rudy and mine are, are doing some work with some some consulting work with, and uh, he spent time in the Marine Corps and. Uh, he said to us, he goes, man, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about you guys. And like, what do you mean? You don't have faith in us? And he goes, no, I'm really concerned that you guys, being vets, you don't know when to quit. <laughs> and he goes, and you know, it's it's not about, you know, in the business world, sometimes, you know, you, you got to cut your losses and move on because you made, you know, you made a hypothesis, you tested it by what you did, and then sometimes, you, you know, it's, it's not the right way, and you got to back up and regroup and, you know, attack from another location. He said, I'm real scared that you guys are going to get real frustrated because you won't quit. And, and I said, well, that's pretty easy. You just need to tell us when we're, we're off azimuth, and then, you know, we'll check ourselves and, and move out smartly in a different direction. So I said, thank you for, for knowing that and observing that, but also tell us if you think we're, you know, we're beating ourselves on a wall. That's, that's something that ties into the last podcast, Robert. When I brought up the story about how the counselor was telling me that I need to get off my God-like pedestal and come down to earth with everybody else. But that's, that's the same, that's like veteran mentality is like we expect perfection from ourselves and who we work with. But like you said, that your, your friend can come to you and say, hey, Eh, you, need to, you know, this isn't, we're not going to beat a dead horse here. I mean, that's, that's something that is so important for vets to be able to accept that criticism and, and keep moving, you know what I mean? Because we're not, we're the type that doesn't like to be shut down, but that work ethic and our, our knowledge is so essential that, you know, it's kind of like it's a balance. And I think educating the civilian side and the civilian population and businesses about the type of people that may be coming into their business, you know, there's a way you deal with people and, and instead of kind of blacklisting veterans and thinking that they're all high and mighty and, you know, they just want to go above and beyond because they're just trying to impress everybody and they think that just because they're a vet, you know, the, the whole spiel, but to actually hone in on their abilities, you know, guide them in the same direction. You think about all the veterans that's been out for a period of time. I mean, every one of us has been out some period of time. and we are now in the business community or in some capacity within the civilian world and and probably have a network or people that can influence perhaps hiring decisions uh, and those types of things we should be taking care of our brothers and sisters a little bit more now there are those that in every branch of the service that probably are not up to the highest level that they should be and you may not want to hire them, but I mean, there are enough people out there that are, that if we started evaluating the resumes and realizing the CVs that perhaps the people who've worked with them are not the best at developing those CVs and resumes, and that's the reason why they're not looking maybe perhaps as qualified as they should be, but let's give them an opportunity and let's pick up the phone and call them and say listen what kind of skill sets do you have what do you think you're going to bring to the table in this position why did you apply for it and have a conversation you might get beyond the piece of paper as you know to, as Colin's point he threw out a thousand but that piece of paper was trying to do the the walking and talking for you um, I'm, I'm a, Robert you know I mean we talked about that with uh, uh, my buddy Vinny you know uh, not too long ago I, I swear I deal with that probably three to four times a week 
on a weekly basis, I got I got guys getting ready to, to retire, and they're calling me up, you know, saying, hey, man, how do I do this? How do I do that? What are, who do I need to talk to? Where do I send my resume, et cetera, et cetera? And, and uh, I'm scrambling to try to keep everybody informed and, and help everybody out, you know, but it's, it's almost overwhelming. I think that our problem is, is that we're just waiting too long. Like people, it's not, it's the, it's the military that's waiting too long. We have to get vets prepared mentally, physically, um, you know, with their, with their resume, how it translates. I mean, they have, you know, they say that they have these programs that are available, like, oh, resume writing or whatever. Like, no, you need to have an, an individual mentor during, I mean, and it doesn't have to be someone in your unit, but somebody that can guide you and pretty much, I'm just like mother you out into the real world. It's like, okay, I'm, birdie needs to fly now. And half the time, all those little birds are just crashing right on the ground because we're not prepared. And that's, I really think like if we were to tackle this while in the service, have legit programs, people that actually care about individuals that are leaving and can sit down with them, look at their DD-214, look at their training, talk with them on a personal level and, you know, really dig deep into how, who they are, how they're feeling, how their, how their time in the service was, vets are going to come out so much more prepared and so much, they're going to feel like the worth that they had in the service, they can contribute to the civilian side. Well, years ago, we used to have counseling. I mean, we used to be required to have quarterly counseling. We used to have, be required to meet with our soldiers to find out professional development, not only in what they're wanting to do within the military, but you'd you know, a good leader, you talk about what it is that you want to do when you get out because we're all going to make the transition. I don't know that that necessarily occurs today. I, I don't think that's the mission objective. I don't think it's part of the time that I have available to me. I think it's a check the block. It, today. Yeah, and no, it, exactly. Yeah. Especially in the reserves. When they did the, the what, your quarterly counseling. I, I mean, when I was in E4 getting my, um, starting getting my NCOERs, I was writing them myself. Like I had to go to Google and they're like, okay, I'll <laughs> sign off on it because these, they just don't care. And I think that's where, you know, the, if you're working with these people all the time and you're doing the same things with them all the time that they, it's like, okay, this is just one more thing I have to do for you. And like Rudy said, it's just, you check the box. Like it's yeah. just, okay, the I army think, wants me to do this, check it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it necessarily is they don't care. I think it, it goes back to the real old school military that Kate, unfortunately you didn't get involved in is it was a mentor coach and teach thing. Yeah. And, you know, Rudy's had that experience, and I know Robert's had that experience, and, and I know it. And we were brought up mentored by old combat vets. And they, they, and I tell you, everything that they taught me when I got to combat is like, holy crap, what they said was exactly true. Spot on. And yeah. you're, But you're right. Robert said something a minute ago. We're too busy for that. It's not that it's not important. It's just mm -hmm. we got so much on the plate. That's the easiest thing to push off the plate. Yeah. Well, now it's the impression too. You know, it's always like I, you have to have a combat badge, or you have right. to just having the qualifications where you you have to come back to your NCO or officer roots where you're actually caring for your soldiers. Isn't that really leadership 101, though? I mean, let's. I mean, yeah. When you think about yeah. it, you know, we're talking about true leadership and counseling your subordinates and making sure that they understand that there is a life after war there is a life after the the military and we're all going to have to make that transition i can't pound it home enough and i mean for me it was one of these things i started thinking early on in my career that one of these days it's going to happen and it's only because like you had mentioned don i ran into individuals that pounded that into my head and saying hey you're only going to live here for this you know this much time and, and you need to start thinking about your future, and you always got to start planning for that direction. 
not a lot of people today get that same type of counseling. I, I, I'm really shocked as to what I hear that's occurring. And it's, again, it's because leaders are not really being leaders. They're even using some of the leadership training. They're getting within the military to check the block and say that I've done that so that I can achieve my rank. But, uh, but yeah, I can tell you that, uh, you know, what Rudy talked about, about, uh, about our brother that is having some issues right now, you know, that goes back to leadership one-on-one. The easiest thing, you don't have to be a leader. I mean, you can just be a processor. Oh, this guy, he did this, check the block, UCMJ, kick him out. Yep. That's the easy thing to do. The easiest thing to do is, is nothing. And what a lot of people have been doing is why we're in the position we're in. The hardest thing to do is what probably a leadership should do for this soldier is, is look at the circumstances. You know, is this a track record or is this kind of a one-time thing and look at the, the circumstances? Obviously, you can't let it go on and on. You know, you got to stop it. But, you know, true leadership is is looking out for your people, doing the right thing, whether somebody's looking or not. And and you shouldn't care how it affects your career. You know, I, I tell people now, you know, and I've said it before in uniform, Hey, look, I, I'm not looking to make rank. If the military says they want to promote me, hey, that's pretty cool and it's nice for my family. There you go. But, there you go. But you know, you, you know, the you know, God gave me the skills to be be a leader, and to lead is look out for your troops. And it doesn't, you know, it's not a popularity contest. I, I don't care if my boss likes me. I'm not going to tell him. I mean, I got in trouble um, by a guy that uh, I know Rudy knows that's a two star because he got mad at me because I told him. I didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. And he yep. says, why are you telling me this? And I said, because <laughs> I promised you from day one, I would never lie to you and I'd always be up front. You asked me a question, I gave you my honest advice. You're the boss, you can do what you want to. But he didn't like that. He said, I've never yep. had anybody talk to me that way before. And I said, sure, I apologize for other people that worked for you before, but you can always trust that I'm not gonna lie to you. There you go. And you know, I'm not here to be your best friend. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm here to be one of your subordinate commanders and look out you, for my troops. You and I would get along real well, Don. That was my I had a I had a saying, and that was don't don't ask me a question you don't want to hear the answer to. And uh, I was I was fired uh, all on the same day. I was fired from my job, promoted to CW four, and given an award, all by the same commanding officer, because yeah, he, he could not handle me talking to him exactly how you described you know i was right. extremely respectful and you know hey sir this is this is this is a ground truth this is what's happening on the ground with this program we're running and he, he wanted to fluff it and make it look it like it was something it was not and i wasn't i wasn't supporting it you know and is that a prerequisite to be an sf warrant officer <laughs> never tell an officer what he wants to hear <laughs> should be <laughs> that's something that i learned like working within special ops is like they want you to question, you know, they want you to ask questions and to have opinions and to, so that you are combat ready, so that you are ready to go out into the civilian sector. And that's why I like, I know everybody's experience is different, but my experience in the reserve and in the guard was terrible. And it was the, the unit that I was in, it was a good boy system. It was who you knew and who, and what you, what you did. So I didn't fit in as well with that. But luckily, you know, I got the opportunity and I got the new mindset or learned, I guess, like the SF mindset, special operations mindset, where it's not so much, it's not what's on your chest. It's common sense and your ability to do your job effectively and support your, the guy next to you, you know? So 
it's just, uh, yeah, I, I think, like you said, questioning, it, you, get, you, you gain respect in yeah, that aspect. I, I don't know what Colin's experience is in, in the UK, but, you know, the kid across the street from a young kid, you know, was in a, uh, an Air National Guard unit, that six-man element that went out. And it's kind of interesting, you know, because we're, we're all here pretty much all Army. Um, but, you know, from the, from the Air Force perspective, at least the, I had an Air Force officer told me, he says, you can't get a Purple Heart unless you're a pilot because nobody else gets hurt and wounded. And I said, well, tell that to the guy that's bleeding all in the hospital over there that, you know, every Army guy got his Purple Heart within an hour. Six months later, I was still trying to get this guy uh, his Purple Heart, and he bled the same way as an Army guy did uh, on the same RPG. But the you know, kid was told, hey, you do have no issues. You're in the Air Force. You don't have those kind of problems. You know, and that's coming from a guy in the rear who probably never deployed and talking to some young kid just A, because he's young and just and, you know, and B, because he's in the Air Force and nobody in the Air Force gets hurt but a pilot. But, you know, being a soft guy and uh, Rudy will tell you, everybody on the team has an opportunity to, to speak their mind. And at the end of the day, whoever's in charge goes, all right, I got it. Or your time runs out. Thanks for everybody's input. This is where we're going. Everybody salutes and moves doing. out. Yeah, so as long as it's not illegal, immoral, and unethical, everybody's going to salute and move out. But um, you know, I think there used to be in a commercial or something about, you know, it reminded me, Kate, when you started talking about that on TV where some little kid was like, you know, Mommy, there's something behind the car. You know, it's like, just shut up, get in the car, you know, basically was the yeah. point. And then the little kid kept saying something. It's like, well, this little kid didn't always talk about it. You know, everybody loads up in the car, Mom backs over the, the, the neighbor dog or cat or whatever it was, oh, you know, yeah. it didn't matter. And, you know, it's kind of a good just a good example of everybody has observations and sees things from a different angle and it's important to take that into consideration and in the, in the time the decision goes you got to make the decision to move out yeah I think one of the interesting things for me is that nowadays there's not really a front line there's not a front line where you're on the front line you're a soldier you're at risk of being hurt injured or, or have um, uh, mental um, repercussions from afterwards. Nowadays, there is no front line. That front line's been brought to our own backyard. We're seeing stuff on, on the streets of the UK and you guys are seeing stuff in your shores. So that front line's changed. It's not a case of, you know, Johnny goes away to war and he goes to some foreign country on some front line and the, the only things he can see are on that front line. A lot of that's happening everywhere. And like you say, that's happening across tri-services. So it doesn't matter whether you're in the REF, the army, you're a, a pilot, a chef, a frontline infantier, the problems are still the same and the issues are that. And going back to the rank thing, I'd take respect over rank any day of the week yeah, because yeah. if I ask 10 guys to follow me, it's not the, the fact I've got a general badge on, it's the fact they respect me, they're going to follow me. Similarly, if I'm sitting bleeding in the front line and I'm pinned down and I need someone to come and get me, it's not the fact that I'm a general they're going to come and get me, it's the fact they respect me. So. Yeah, I'll take respect over rank any day of the week, and I yeah, think absolutely. within our worlds we kind of we have that respect, and and you earn respect. It doesn't just come auto automatically with rank, and we probably all have examples of of where that's kind of had its had its differences. So yeah, I would say like especially in America and with reserves guard, it's like a pissing contest, and and ignorance is bliss over here, and that's why like I I saw both spectrums like firsthand. You know, it's like the the whole saying like you're either tabbed or you're in ranger battalion like a real ranger is in ranger battalion and or you're tabbed and it's like the people that are just tabbed 
are the ones that are talking a bunch of guff and you know running their mouths and they think they're badass and it's like you literally have not seen the side of war that these guys have and that's and it's just it goes all the way back down to the one weekend a month on and and, it, and you you get they have nothing to talk about so that's why they get all puffed up on their their rank or their gender you know that's a huge thing too especially in the reserves is oh you're a woman you don't know anything about anything so yeah, I was so, you know, I learned so much working within special ops, just, and like, even on this podcast, talking with all y'all, because it, you just, that's the thing is like, we all put our pants on the same way. So, do you make it, Katie, you make it in front of me just because I hadn't been, I, I've, I've got range of Quava, but I never was in range <laughs> But see, I would be making fun of you if you came on and said, I'm Mr. Randall Rager qualified. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the thing. It just like, it's like, okay. You know, yes, you could buy me a drink, but I'm not going to go home with you. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, uh. Yeah, my, it, I, I tell people, you know, I tell a lot of guys, I said, you know, there's a reason that, that tabs and stuff are cloth. You know, they're easy to buy and, and you know, you, you don't even have to earn them. In some cases, people find you know, their websites everywhere with, with, with posers and stuff. But I keep telling guys that they, they get qualified or whatever they do, you know, it, it's, it's what's in your heart. You know, and, and, and exactly like Colin was talking about is, you know, you have to respect the rank. You never have to respect the person, you know. And, and I always tell my young leaders is, hey, look, you know, they, your guys have to respect your rank. They don't have to respect you. And that's something you have to earn every day. You know, talking to this young ranger the other day, I said, congratulations, you, gra- you, you graduated ranger school. It was tough, but life's getting to be tougher. Because that little symbol on your shoulder, you're going to have a lot higher expectations from your peers, from your subordinates, and from your senior leaders just by wearing that. So it's not, you know, it's not a gimme. But those of you said that are immature, Kate, that they think it makes them special and they're elitist and they're over people. No, it just means that people expect more of you and you got to perform better, in my mind. So I'm going to switch gears here, and I'm going to bring up about the criminal justice system. And does it tie back to what we were talking about earlier about some of the difficulties in transitioning back to the private sector as to why many veterans might be finding themselves, perhaps especially in the U.K., since this came kind of from the U.K., Colin, in the criminal justice system more? Yeah, possibly. I mean, we see, yeah, we see problems with, with that here, and there's a kind of overlap. Um, it, there's an overlap in, in different areas where there's domestic relationships bring, um, coming into play. There's, there's drugs and alcohol. There's, um, it might even be uh, access to weapons. Um, it might be going back to those backgrounds they had at school or some of those old networks. Um, for, for a lot, it's, it's, it's the easiest option. There is no other option. So the easiest path is, is, is one of where they go down and then and then yeah the criminal justice system comes into play so yeah it's it's complex and there's a lot of different issues at, at stake there and um yeah we're we're seeing it we're seeing it we're seeing it more here as well i struggle i struggle with that personally every day colin and, and robert the there's not a day that goes by that i run into some moron that's doing something stupid and i want to knock his teeth down his throat fact is you just can't do that or i'm gonna end up in jail you know uh so I've, I've kind of learned and had to adapt to, to biting my tongue and, and, and keeping my, my blood pressure down and my patience. But, um, you know, Rudy, but, you know, the thing about it is the way you can handle that is because you got peace of mind. And, and like Colin yeah. just mentioned, 
if you were if you were drinking excessively or taking drugs, you wouldn't be able well, to make those yeah. good decisions. Right. And then that that allows you to go sideways, and then you get you get in an altercation. And if you have any idea that you're in the military, they're gonna they're gonna amp up the force, and all that does is just gonna make a bad situation worse. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think? As you know, based on our discussion around the issues facing veterans, uh, why they struggle in finding employment, and then, of course, uh, lastly, what we just talked about here with finding themselves in the criminal justice system, what what can we do as a community, and then what can we do as a veteran community? to be able to help our veterans get through some of these transitional issues that they might be facing. And I'll kind of just pull that to each of you. I, I think education, man. Education in a couple different phases. You know, uh, education within the military, within active military, and is, is paramount. You know, leaders understanding uh, the signs, symptoms of, of, of a young soldier uh, struggling whether it's with his finances, whether it's with his performance, whether it's with PTSD, you name it. But just education-based coming from the, from the command structure, active duty. Moving on in the phases, as, as a soldier or active duty member gets ready to transition into the business sector or, or whatever he's going to transition into, a, a, a solid program that's veteran-based, not uh, you know some contract company with a bunch of civilians who are the CEO of this company and I know business, uh, real veterans who actually care uh, and want to give back to other veterans to, to help them with that transition. And that's everything from, from everything we do on this podcast and everything Mentors for Military is about to, you know, to just being a, a, somebody to talk to and a friend, you know, making recommendations on, on their next chapter in life. And then, and then also, you know, within the, I would say, uh, and Colin, I'm not sure about over the UK, but but here in the U.S., with the, within the VA system that we have, you know, programs set up a little bit better than what we've got now because because right now the programs we've got, I'm, I'm, I haven't been impressed with, at least the ones I've had experience with, you know, for counseling and mentoring and things like that, not just uh, medical treatment. You know, these, these things go way beyond medical treatment. So I think, I think those three approach phases or those three phases need to be hit differently, respectively, you know. I know, Robert. Uh, outside of that, I can't see. I don't see a whole lot else. What what we can put together, you know? If I was a millionaire, hell, I'd throw together a program right now. But <laughs> I think I think to add on to what Rudy was saying, you know, because he nailed everything. He pretty much took the words out of my mouth. But a soldier that's transitioning needs to be self-aware and be mature about who they are, their their mental status, their physical status, and and own up to the possible you know, disabilities that they may have and allow yourself to go through that acceptance because I think that's what a lot of us just want to stay in denial until it completely wraps itself around us and there's no hope anymore. So I think, you know, having the resources like Rudy said, but also accepting those resources and being self-aware and mature about what you're going to do and, you know, still hold up to your integrity as a soldier, even when you're leaving the service. Yeah, and I think just to throw in a curveball, I think uh, use these guys that have been through the criminal justice system. You know, yeah, you've absolutely, you've experienced it. Yeah. Well, come out, talk about it. You talk yeah. to the guys that might be about to, you know, walk the path you're about to. Yeah. You know, if you had to live that again, would you do it differently? And if so, tell this guy because 
you know, he's about to walk it. And they don't do it just in veteran system. You know, the gang culture and yep, some yep. of the guys that have been through drugs and alcohol and everything, they use exactly the same process. So we have a we have a resource there, you know. The veterans are the best resource we have. Use the guys that have been through the criminal justice system. Get them in front of people. Get them employed as well. We're doing two things. We're, so, we're, we're, we're treating guys that are going to walk down that path. And we're also getting these guys into work as well. So we're killing two birds with one stone. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I also agree with Rudy, but you know, it, it, to add one thing is, is you got to have some kind of battle buddy, and yeah. you know, and it's, you know, you should have some kind of check system. I mean, you know, Rudy never went on an operation where somebody didn't sign off on his con op rolling out of the wire, right. it, and you know, he never rolled out by himself, and or none of us did. You know, it didn't matter if you're an SAS or an SF. You know, it doesn't matter who you work for. You can't roll out of the wire on your own. And I think that's that should really be the the deal. You, we should educate our, our NCOs and officers across the services. You know, it doesn't matter guard, reserve, active. Everybody should be educated and understand because this is something we're going to. I mean, I think we went through this in Vietnam. It was lessons not learned, maybe. And I'm sure even World War Two, World War One, all the wars, we keep reinventing the wheel. But people have problems to deal with, and one of the things I got gotten in head-to-head -head competition with my bosses in the past where hey get rid of the guy and kick him out was like do you realize where he's going he's going back into our society where our families yeah. are so why don't we try to fix the guy I mean that's a guy that just has problems but you know we, we know that about our folks that have been in war for all these years you know it set them up for success They're, we won't get a hundred percent but you're right we got to have a process and a program and somebody should be calling. You know, if, if if me and Colin are signed buddies, I hadn't heard from him in a while. I need to pick up the phone and call him. Hey, man, what you up to? Man, I'm busy. I got all this stuff going on. Is everything good? Great. Okay, I just want to make sure. You know, I'm in a meeting. Okay, I'll let you go. We'll talk later. But you you got to have that support system because you got to take some responsibility to do it by yourself. But you know, I've learned over the last couple of years to try to humble myself a little bit and you, as much as you want to. You can't do it by yourself, and that's something I know I learned, and Rudy probably learned in Sears school. You get a lot of reflection, and you can't judge people because I tell you, one of the guys I thought was the biggest stud in my SF course had some real problems in Sears school, you know. And I did a lot of soul searching and evaluating, and what does that really mean, you know? I, I didn't look at the guy any different, and uh, just realized that hey, you know, we're all we're all human. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, and you know, he's a stud in one area. And, and maybe I was a little bit better in that area, but it didn't make either one of us good or bad. It just that's who we are, yeah. uh, and we got to respect each other because, you know, everybody's done some strange things. And uh, you know, I, I had a kid that somebody was pushing me for to to give an Article 15, and uh, he just knew in the unit. And I said, "Well, what's the guy's history?" So the guy, one of his NCOs who knew him, said, "Well, he'd been in an infantry unit on his last deployment." He was standing next to his buddy that got hit, uh, that hit an IED, and it just his buddy just got sprayed all over him. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's and and I said, well, what happened to trigger this? Well, he didn't get up in time for the PT test, and you know somebody was wearing him out, and so he just took off and you know hit the road. And it's like, eh, I think we should we should look more into this and give this guy the benefit of the doubt. What he did was wrong, but it, it you know there's a difference between scolding your child and spanking your child and, I, and yeah. you know, I thought this was more of a hey let's talk about this and, and let's try to rehabilitate it move them in the right direction 
don't crucify him because it's just going to make a bad situation worse. Yeah. Um, and that's because his NCO knew him. He knew the issues. We were able to make good informed decisions. But somebody cared about him, and he, you know, he had a battle buddy. I think it kind of goes, I like the way, Rudy, you put it, and I wasn't really thinking about it that way, but it does start while you're still on active duty. It starts with making those connections back to that battle buddy or to those veterans that came out. It's about leaders using basic leadership 101, looking out for the welfare of your people and making sure you're preparing them for whatever mission or objective that's coming their way. If that happens to be transition or retirement or whatever separation from the military, embrace and accept that as just like any other mission or objective and work for them and with them to prepare them for that type of situation or make sure that they're doing the effort and putting in the time to be able to make the transition. I think then it's the veteran community on this uh, this side of the fence has to become stronger and understand that we've got to reach back and help those uh, people that are coming on the other side and give them whatever assistance that it is. But we also have an obligation, I think, to teach the the private sector or the civilian community that we're all not broke, that we're all not, you know, individuals that are, you know, in rough situations or anything else. And oh, by the way, what I did do is translatable to the private sector and help bridge a lot of that gap. Because as Colin mentioned, from somebody who may have gone and been incarcerated, it's still the same type of thing. You're an individual with a knowledge base that can bridge both sides now. And you can talk to the civilian side because you're on it. You can talk to the veterans and those that are on active duty because you're a part of them as well. So it's it's about keeping that knowledge base, that friendship, uh, that camaraderie still in place. And I think, Colin, even you mentioned on the, uh, the podcast is finding a sense of service somewhere. Find something that you can plug yourself into that gives you that sense of service that you feel that's missing. Seek help. Seek those battle buddies. And, you know, again, have the veterans to be able to reach back and pull you forward. I appreciate you guys taking time. Colin, I know it's late over there. God, it's like 1020 now. Appreciate you staying up and uh, hanging with us, man. Hey, Colin, thank you so much for your contribution. This is a good example. You know, I see everyone there and I just want to, like, grab a beer and spend a few Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a a good example of, uh, you know, the potential of the veterans and and what they can do. A lot of these things I think we're going to have to do is in, in this group here, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to participate today, but you guys have, have moved in front of me. And it's more, it's the old saying, you know, deeds before words. And I think if we go out and set an example, you know, whether it's within the vet community or even with, uh, you know, with the civilian world, uh, they could definitely benefit. You know, the uh, last little quick story, just recently uh, my kids swam competitively in, in college and real proud of them. But they've had several suicides in their school, and it's not a very big school, college they go to. And then they had another major issue on their team, you know, and I was, I was talking to my wife about it, and I said, you know, I feel a little strong, i got to reach out to the coach. Because, you know, and he, he had a kid on the team that had committed suicide. And I said, you know, I had a guy in my unit that committed suicide, and, you know, you're always dealing with some kind of actions, UCMJ actions or something, just to let him know, you know, he's a civilian, he's not a vet brother, but he's somebody out there you know is hurting and he's feeling lonely, like Kate was talking about, and he's going to wonder, you know, he can't talk to the school administration because he's going to look weak, and they're going to think, well, we've got to get rid of this guy because he's not a real leader because he can't handle everything. So I just reached out to him and said, hey, look, I've been through what you've done. I've walked that ground before. It's not easy. There's no right or wrong. Uh, but just to understand that you got our full support, and this is my cell phone number, and you can call me 24-7. 
you know, and, and he said thanks. And I think that's kind of what it's all about. So, you know, our SAS brothers, you know, we we trained together, we fought together, you know, and uh, you know we're here for you guys as well. And uh, you know, we're, our hearts are open for you, and and then our weak backs and, and my weak mind is ready to go out and and move out to help you and support you as well. You're just like with the whole PTSD thing is just starting now. I mean, what a great opportunity, especially for us to go and nip this in the bud so you guys don't go through all of the roller coaster of garbage like we've been going through. So I really hope that we can come together and do something for the community because this is... It's network across the pond now. There you go. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Please be sure to follow us at iTunes, leave a rating and your comments. And if you don't have an Apple product, no worries. You can follow us at SoundCloud, download the app. And if you're on Twitter, be sure to follow us there at Mentors, the number four, M-I-L.